Welcome to Fronteras, a program that explores issues at the border and beyond through the lens of arts, culture, and history. I'm Norma Martinez with Texas Public Radio in San Antonio. Immigration officials have encountered at least 6.3 million immigrants between ports of entry since President Biden took office. About a third were admitted. President Biden has been accused of inaction on the border and has allowed, if you believe political rhetoric, this invasion of immigrants into the U.S. We need to stop this invasion at our southern border once and for all. Over the tenure of Joe Biden, we've had three Houstons cross the border illegally. All-time records. A recent analysis by the Migration Policy Institute, MPI, examines Biden's immigration policies in his first three years in office and found that Biden issued more immigration actions than the entirety of his predecessor's term. Biden has issued 535 immigration actions as of January 2024. We're talking today to two co-authors of that article, Musafar Chishti, MPI Senior Fellow and Director of the MPI Office at New York University School of Law, and lawyer Kathleen Bush-Joseph, Policy Analyst with MPI's U.S. Immigration Policy Program. Chishti says consumers of both mainstream and niche media are hearing a narrative about the border which may or may not be aligned with the facts, but they're not hearing the whole story. Or there's a lot happening at the border and nothing else happening anywhere else is sort of the the narrative. And this is sort of when truth becomes a casualty in an election year, particularly. And, you know, Trump administration was generally billed as an activist administration on immigration, particularly because he had made immigration such a defining element of his campaign and then of his administration. But... We follow this on a completely bipartisan way and a nonpartisan way in this case at Migration Policy Institute. And we found that activists, as you may call the Trump administration, that it implemented only 475 actions in its four years of office. And if you look at the three years of the Biden administration, it has outpaced that by having 535 actions in the three years. And while all the public attention is attracted to the crisis at the border, and there is indeed a crisis, that that has unfortunately eclipsed a huge amount of the record that the president should take credit for on immigration and doesn't get credit for. And uh, we can get more into the details, but just to highlight what has lost the attention of the media even, and certainly of the public, is that for the first time in years, we have gone back to pre-Trump and pre-COVID normal on legal immigration. That last year, we admitted 1.2 million permanent residents to the United States, which is more than the average of 1.1 we had in the first 16 years of the century. So that's to be noted. Refugee admissions, which had effectively been decimated at the end of the Trump administration, the lowest watermark of 11,000 people that we admitted as refugees in the Trump era. We have now, this administration has surpassed the Obama administration's high watermark, and we are inching back towards the high 
watermark of the refugees' mission of the 1990s. In this present time, about a million people have something called a parole status, which doesn't allow them to stay in the country permanently, but it gives them the assurance that they can't be deported and they have right to work. That's a million new people, majority of them Cubans, Haitians, Nicaraguans, Venezuelans, Ukrainians, and Afghans. But, you know, just those six countries, large number of people from those countries have relief. The temporary protected status today, 472 new thousand new TPS people were made eligible. So we are pretty close to about 700,000 people today who have temporary protected status. And to me, Norma, the most important thing is what happens in the lives of ordinary unauthorized people. At the end of the administration, if you're an unauthorized person in the country, 11.2 to 11.5 million we have, you could not have the assurance that if you left your home in the morning, that you could come back at night to see your kids. It had become that existential at the end of the Trump administration because everyone was a priority for immigration enforcement under the Trump administration. That has radically changed under the Biden administration. In its new enforcement authority, if you haven't committed a serious crime, or if you're not a recent arrival, if you leave your home in the morning, you can be guaranteed you can come at night and see your kids. If you talk about on a day-to-day basis, affecting the largest number of the immigrants in this country, that to me is the most important change from Trump to the Biden administration. And Kathleen, I think that maybe a lot of people who might not fully understand immigration law, immigration regulations may think that immigration enforcement solely resides under the power of the executive office and the president. Hundreds of executive orders have been issued in the last few administrations uh, dealing with immigration. However, it's not the president who needs to be making these immigration enforcement actions. It really should be Congress, because as we have seen in this administration and the previous administrations, a lot of these immigration enforcement actions, they do end up going to court. Uh, so can you explain to us a little bit about sort of that misunderstanding that people might have that, you know, Biden can fix the border or Trump will fix the border when he comes in, but ultimately it's not really under their authority. They can only do so much. That's right, Norma. The president has the authority to prevent the entry of certain people into the United States. But when people get to our southern border, they're able to enter the U.S. territory, they are allowed to apply for asylum. So the idea that the president can unilaterally shut down the border is not totally accurate. And what you know, we know is that only Congress can appropriate the resources necessary to enforce the laws that are on the books. The Biden administration has taken a range of steps to increase removals to countries around the world. It's sent back hundreds of thousands of people to Mexico. But at the same time, The government does not currently have the personnel 
or the resources to be processing all of the asylum applications and the visa applications that people have submitted. This is a really important aspect of what's happening right now because the backlogs mean that people who need protection are not getting it quickly and people who are not eligible for protection are not being removed to their home countries. Kathleen Bush-Joseph is a policy analyst with the Migration Policy Institute. We're also talking to MPI senior fellow Musafar Chishti. They're the co-authors of the MPI article, Biden at the Three-Year Mark. The most active immigration presidency yet is mired in border crisis narrative. When we come back, a failed bipartisan proposal to address the border has seen pushback from both sides. The bill's restrictions on asylum and people's ability to come to the U.S.-Mexico border could be one of the lasting impacts on the immigration debate moving forward. Our conversation continues next on Fronteras. Welcome back to Fronteras. I'm Norma Martinez with Texas Public Radio in San Antonio. A failed bipartisan border bill in the Senate could have been one of the most significant legislative immigration reforms in decades. President Biden himself used baseless rhetoric in an effort to get it passed. If that bill were the law today, I'd shut down the border right now and fix it quickly. Today, we're talking about immigration and Biden's presidency three years in. Our guests are Migration Policy Institute policy analyst Kathleen Bush-Joseph and MPI senior fellow Musafar Chishti. Bush-Joseph says the proposal was an extraordinary compromise at a time when bipartisan agreements are few and far between. And to note, this conversation was recorded before the bill was blocked in the Senate. One of the most notable aspects is that it would give the president the authority to prevent people from applying for asylum if arrival numbers hit certain benchmarks. At 4,000 arrivals as an average over seven days, the president could prevent people from applying for asylum, but at an average of 5,000, the president would have to prevent people from applying for asylum if they come between lawful ports of entry. That would be a huge change, and it harkens back to something that former President Trump tried to enact by rule, but was ultimately blocked by the courts. This gets into President Biden's argument that he does need this new authority to get control of the border. The bill would provide a huge surge of resources. It would allow for the hiring of more ICE personnel to remove migrants, asylum officers to hear applications, judges to decide cases. And all of that would be a really important shift for the immigration system. At the same time, it increases the opportunities for Afghans who came over on humanitarian parole to adjust their status, and it would allow for certain others to 
access visas to come into the United States. But the bill's restrictions on asylum and people's ability to come to the U.S.-Mexico border could be one of the lasting impacts on the immigration debate moving forward, even if it doesn't pass. Well, Musafir, this whole idea of Biden potentially having the power to, quote unquote, shut down the border, that was something that actually President Trump was probably more successful in doing because looking back on former President Trump's actions, you know, our memories here are so short that we forget about uh, these actions that Biden has reversed not quite even a year ago, the Title 42 allowing for the rapid expulsion of migrants uh, due to the pandemic. So can you remind us a little bit about some of these Trump era actions that have been reversed and how uh, President Biden has in these last three years taken action forward and perhaps shine a little bit of light on some of these policies that, again, we are not aware of that probably impact our lives the most. You raise another important issue about uh, why the president doesn't get enough credit. People just think he was Trump too. And, you know, that's furthest from the truth. I mean, he did try to end Title 42. It took him time, but he finally ended Title 42. And before people get romantic notions, which is what all Republicans seem to have about Title 42. Even under Title 42, large number of people were admitted to the United States because there were so many exceptions to Title 42. People just forget. They just read the headline and don't read that there were exceptions under the headline under which a number of people were admitted. More importantly, that under Title 42, there was no consequence for the expulsion. That if you remove, there was no record kept. What it did was provide incentive for people to keep on trying again and again. So if you didn't get it on the first trial, you would get on the fifth trial. Now, is that effective enforcement? We can have debate over it. President Biden tried to end Remain in Mexico. He was challenged by Republican governors, and that went to the Supreme Court, and he had a success there, that he had the authority to end Remain in Mexico. These were all, to me, sort of progressive things that the president had never got the credit for. I think what Republicans want to do is sort of return back to the era of the perception of border under control. Just repeat, the border was never completely under control. We certainly cannot re-invoke a health measure because that emergency doesn't exist. What this new attempt does, it does close to what would be as much of a control of the border as possible. But as Kathleen has pointed out, that even when you have complete shutdown of the border, it still, under both international and domestic law, gives people the right to apply for asylum under our present law. It's true that that may get taken back to the Supreme Court, and you could see why a new Supreme Court would say it's okay to deny people the right to asylum on the U.S. soil, but that remains to be seen. But even this Supreme Court would never say that people do not have right to apply for what we call non-Roforma, which is that we cannot force people to the countries of origin where they face fear of persecution. 
We may not grant them asylum, but we can't remove them. That's called the protection of withholding of removal. If you face torture in your country under the torture convention, we cannot remove people if you're going to face torture. So there is no complete ban on entry of people. That's a fiction. Uh, and that will remain a fiction. So what will these measures will do, and they probably could do that, is that they may reduce the number of people making an attempt to enter the country. If they think they're not going to be admitted to Los Angeles or Long Island to stay for years. How quickly that will happen remains to be seen. That will determine a lot on the kind of resources and the staffing, as Kathleen pointed out, we put in place for these measures to be effective. And finally, it's going to be determined hugely on Mexico's cooperation. Because people forget that when we remove people, we're removing them to Mexico. If Mexico says, sorry, I'm not going to accept them, there's nothing we can do about that. So the Mexican cooperation is going to be critical to the success of any deal, whether it's the administration or the Congress strikes in the United States. And kind of in relation to that, Kathleen, uh, Governor Greg Abbott here in Texas issued a tweet not too long ago saying that the, the thousands of migrants who've been crossing and the border city of Eagle Pass, Texas, um, that number, thanks to the extensive efforts of Operation Lone Star, that number is now down to just three. Now, there is no context as to why those numbers are so low, but talking to many of our reporters here on staff and across the state, they point out that the reason for that is because Mexico is stopping many of those migrants from crossing there at Eagle Pass. One of our reporters who was there just over the weekend says that Mexico has put up a whole lot of barriers there uh, in Piedras Negras across from Eagle Pass, making it impossible for these migrants to cross over. So it seems like it's kind of smoke and mirrors as far as who should be the one who scores the win. You know, I think that this really underscores the point that our ability to manage our border with Mexico turns on our relations, not only with Mexico, but also with the countries from where people are fleeing and coming to the border. The points of arrival can shift over time as smugglers spread information and people try to gain access where there aren't officials blocking entry, but where there are short-term dips in reaction to any of these factors or new announcements of policy, there tends to be a resurgence of people once conditions change or once they figure out how to cross and where to cross. So the attribution of quote unquote success, you know, to any of these particular measures is really difficult to assess. I think that what we have to do is look at the bigger picture, which is that people are fleeing difficult circumstances, instability in their home countries, the after effects of the COVID-19 pandemic in other uh, countries' economies, war, and other devastating circumstances. 
We also have a strong economy here in the United States. Unemployment is low and employers are looking for workers. These factors mean that people are continuing to come to the United States and we need a way to manage their arrival so that it's safe and orderly. The impetus is really on Congress to allocate the resources and update our outdated immigration system so that it comes into the 21st century and we can respond to these challenges. Musafat, I wanted to continue with you. Um, Kathleen was talking about the smugglers, and there is a very wide social network of smugglers and how they communicate with their customers, so to speak. They tell them what they need to bring, how much they need to pay, and how they're going to get to where they're going. And we hear from a lot of people who have made that crossing that they are told that the border is open. And I know this is a myth that appears to have been in place in these three years that Biden has been in office. So can you tell us a little bit about the struggle that is happening between the lies and mistruths that are happening on the side of the smugglers and sort of the overwhelming of the resources uh, on the U.S. side? Well, you know, I think another way of looking at it is push and pull factors. Kathleen just gave you a very compelling list of push factors. And, you know, immigration experts tend to get divided about whether pull factors are more important than push factors. And I'm one of those. I think the pull factors are terribly important, if not more important, because the push factors are endemic. I mean, they have been bad in these countries for a very long time. There are some new push factors we can see. Seven million Venezuelans being pushed out after uh, the change in the regime. That created a new kind of push factor. But pull factors are hugely. You could say that Biden's very election was a pull factor. After having seen four years of Trump administration, just the fact that he was a new sheriff in town was enough to give smugglers ammunition to send through the communication channel that the Nave Day has arrived in the U.S. And people take advantage of that. People want to hope, especially when things are so bad in the countries that they're fleeing. Things like, look, you're going to get housing in New York City. If you reach New York City, that's a pull factor. That just was absent even about two years ago. If you're Cuban, Haitian, Nicaraguan, Venezuelans, and you can apply without even fear of persecution, that's a pull factor. So pull factors really are important. And in this regard, there are two new dimensions. One is the use of social media. It's now reached a totally new dimension than it was even five years ago, that this has now become the most potent method of communication. And smugglers are adept at it. They operate through social media as if they are the new modern travel agency. That you're now welcome to this stage of your journey. You will get your instructions from this. It has become much more organized than it was. People know the addresses of shelters in New York City before they head out from parts of Africa. That's new. The second is corruption that these journeys now have become 
uh, systematic forms of corruption. That how you get from one part of the country to another to get a visa, how you then get from getting a visa to get to some part of South America. That's another corrupt practice. And how do you get from part of South America to the south of Mexico? That's another part in this chain. Then how do you get from south of Mexico to north? That's another part of the chain. And then how you get across to the other side. These have now become highly corrupt practices. So when you see a corrupt practice of that scale, it's hard to not see that we have the kind of surge that we have had at the border in the last five years. So unless we appreciate all the elements of these push and pull factors, we really cannot get to the bottom of the kind of crisis that we have seen in the last three or four years. Do you foresee anything being done in Congress to address immigration or immigration reform? Because it it seems like such a convenient piece of ammunition to use against a political party or a political opponent in an election year and even off election years. Exactly. So one gets very cynical about this, that people shout from top of their rooftops that we want to control immigration. But when it actually comes down to providing the policies and the resources and the staffing to do it, they collapse. They collapse under the weight of the politics of this issue. Is that for many members of Congress, it's more important to keep alive talking points that help them in their in the election campaigns than to actually get an outcome. So we as a country have to come to a conclusion. Do we want an actual change in outcome, or do we just want talking points that are used by the extreme wings in both parties for political gains? And that's the conversation Europortus should need to to really expound and amplify. And I think the test will come soon, that if Senate passes a measure like the border security in Ukraine bill that they are negotiating, if that passes the Senate overwhelmingly and is not even taken up for a vote in the House, you know that politics has prevailed over policy. This has become the dominant issue of our time. It probably will become the most dominant issue in this election campaign. It may also become a dominant issue on how America is perceived in the world. It may become a dominant issue to see whether democracy survives or we slip into populism. That's the challenge the country has. Immigration is the issue that has defined us. It also is a bargain that we have struck with history in keeping America the unique unique among the nations of the world. The issue is, can we keep our leadership on this issue? And this will become a very important year to test that. And that's why all of us have to be vigilant as we continue to pursue the project called the United States. 
Musafar Chishti is a senior fellow with the Nonpartisan Migration Policy Institute and is director of the MPI office at New York University School of Law. We also spoke with Kathleen Bush-Joseph, a lawyer and policy analyst with MPI's U.S. Immigration Policy Program. They're the co-authors with Colleen Putzel-Kavanaugh of the MPI article, Biden at the Three-Year Mark, the Most Active Immigration Presidency Yet is Mired in Border Crisis Narrative. Thanks for joining us today for Fronteras. Fronteras is produced by Norma Martinez and Maria Navarro. Our executive producer is Dan Katz. Our editor is Fernando Ortiz Jr. Charanga Cakewalk composed our theme music. Hear past episodes at tpr.org and on the Fronteras podcast. I'm Norma Martinez with Texas Public Radio in San Antonio.